Staying true to America's national destiny, the voice of the awakening. Your host, Bishop E. W. Jackson. And now this is the sixth month for her who was called barren. So what is he doing? He's feeding Mary's faith. He's saying, this is, this is, the, this is God's doing. This, God did this. Because you, you all understand that in Israel during that time, if you didn't have children, you were considered cursed by God. Like you did something wrong. <laughs> and when Elizabeth turns up pregnant in a relatively old age, I mean, this was, this was something else. And by the way, Mary had no way of knowing this as far as we know because they didn't live together. She immediately after, you all know, she went to visit her afterwards because just like the shepherds, she wanted to go see Elizabeth. And of course, that's a, that's a whole additional aspect of this story. But this is the verse I want you to focus on because I want to show you something in this verse that you can't see uh, on your own. The Holy Spirit has to reveal it to you. Because um, it's not, this is, this is, it's, it's not a great translation of the verse that we have in the English. It says, for with God, nothing will be impossible. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Now, I can't explain why the translators did this, but they left two words out of this verse. In the actual Greek, there are two more words. What the actual Greek says, for with, for Nothing will be impossible with God, no rhema whatsoever. The word rhema is actually in that verse, but you don't see it there. What he's saying is, no rhema word of God can possibly go unfulfilled. In other words, Mary, when you receive this, when this is no longer logos to you, this becomes rhema to you, it's coming to pass. In the same way that it became, when it became Rhema to Elizabeth, it's coming to pass. That's why they had to cut, shut Zacharias up, because he would try to keep it Logos, to keep it Nogos if he could. <laughs> but look, no Rhema word of God can possibly go unfulfilled. The only way of saying this, it is impossible when it's Rhema for it not to come to pass. See, if you believe in God for something and it hasn't yet come to pass, is it rhema to you yet? So, well, Bishop, how do I know? Well, if you're still worried about it not coming to pass, it's not rhema. Did you hear what I said? If you're still worried about it not coming to pass, then it's not rhema. When you get to a point where I don't have any question, I, there's, there's nothing more to discuss. It's done. Thank you, Jesus. And, and that's not just something you is in your head to try to persuade yourself, but that's something that's so deep in you that you just, you just don't have any question whatsoever about it. That's rhema. It's not possible for the devil and all the demons of the damned to stop that from coming to pass. And see, there's a lot, look, we Christians know a lot of word, but I said last week, but a lot of it is not rhema to us. You know, I, 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 don't, I can't give you a percentage because I've never done a poll, but I get, for many Christians, healing is not rhema to them. It's not. The idea of God healing is not rhema to them. It's kind of one of those if things, you know, well, maybe, you never know, we'll see. 
as opposed to I know God heals and then I know God has already healed me. See, that, that's, that's rhema. I know it's already done. Yeah, but what about this? And what about, no, there's no what about anything. There's nothing else to be said. I know it. And let me just say this to you. Why it's so important not to try to base your faith on the experiences of other people. Because you can't be them. And you can't know everything about them. What you can do is establish your relationship to the word of God like Mary. I mean, what if somebody come along and say, well, Mary, I know that's what you might have heard, but that's never happened. What makes you think it's going to happen for you? Come on, let's come back down to reality. No, she just took hold of the word. As the scripture says, conceived, silambano. Grab hold. And by the way, that word, word lambano is often the word used to receive in scripture. Like when Jesus says in Mark eleven twenty two 22 through 24, uh, believe you received it. Believe you've already laid hold of it. Believe you already possess it. It's an aggressive word that says you grabbed it. When you've done that, nobody can persuade you otherwise. Now, why in that particular verse, the translators didn't include the word rhema, which is in the text, or say something like, for no word of God is impossible of fulfillment, is I just think they didn't have the revelation to understand what was being said. I just think they just didn't, they didn't get the significance, and they thought they were simply summarizing for us. But they left out something extremely important. And tells us also that logos is not enough. The word's got to become rhema for you. You've got to possess it. You've got to lay hold on it. You've got to grab hold of it and, and let it be real for you. Because all the promises of God in him are yes and amen. But if you don't believe them, if you don't embrace them, if you don't hold fast to them, all the promises of God are irrelevant for you. You know, there was a saying that, that grew up in the church. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. And then some people started to say, well, wait a minute. If God said it, it doesn't matter whether I believe it or not. It's still settled. So, but it's not settled for you. Unless you believe it. So it's proper to say, God said it. I believe it. That settles it for me. But if you don't believe it, it's not settled for you. Oh, yeah, your word, oh, God, is, is, set, is settled in heaven. There's no question about that. God's word is never going to not be true. It is true. But it's not going to help you if you don't embrace it. Amen. Glory to God. And so here's Mary's response, which now can be understood in, in, in the power and the majesty of this, this, this young woman of God. She was something else. Let me tell you. You know, God didn't go eeny, meeny, miny, mo, Mary. <laughs> God chose someone whose character he saw uh, from, 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 from her birth and watched her develop and grow and saw her, of course, before the foundation of the world, growing into the, the woman that he needed her to be to do this, to, 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 to be the vessel for one of the greatest events that could ever happen in human history. She says, behold the maid servant of the Lord. Remember I said, 
Mary, the angel said, Mary, you have found favor with God. I said, Mary, you want to serve God. You want to please God. You want to do God's will. What she say? Behold, the maid servant of the Lord. That's what I want. I want to be God's servant. I want to be available to him. And then she says, let it be to me according to your rhema. Not logos. Let it be to me according to your rhema. See, Mary got rhema. She, she grabbed hold of it. She embraced it. See, Christmas wouldn't be possible without the rhema word of God. The, the shepherds got rhema and went out and spread it around. Amen. Amen. And, 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 and at every step along the way, someone was receiving a, 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 a Logos word as rhema to their hearts and grabbing hold of that and make, allowing God to, to make it real in their lives. Whew. Glory to God. Glory to God. Look, in Luke, verse, in Luke chapter 1, verse 28 to 30, it says this, and having come in the angel said, Logos, rejoice highly favored one, the Lord is with you, blessed are you among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, Logos, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Uh, and then the angel said, Logos, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And then Mary says, I receive rhema. Be it unto me according to your rhema. You know, Jesus said eight times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, you know he wasn't talking about physical ears because everybody went out there had physical ears. He was talking about he that has a heart to receive what I'm saying, receive it. And see, Mary had that, that's the kind of heart she had. She was, she was hearing these words coming from the angel as Logos, but she was receiving it as Rhema and grabbing hold together with it through the word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. The same, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, be it unto me according to your Rhema. So look, I really believe this. And here again, I can't prove this to you, but you can consider it. I believe that the moment she said that was the moment of conception. And we know it happened very shortly thereafter because she rushed off to see Elizabeth. And when she went to see Elizabeth, by the time she got there, John the Baptist leaped in the womb because Jesus was, in, was present. Very early on, for all the abortionists out there. Here's a six-month-old baby leaping in the womb at the presence of his Savior, and you got people running around the country telling us, oh, yeah, you can kill an unborn baby. It's no big deal. Or even making it something praiseworthy, something to be admired. If you read this, and you, this, this is Raymond for you, you realize what an abominable act that is. Because here, here is the, the Jesus and, and, and obviously the, the earliest stages of gestation. Here's John the Baptist at six months in gestation and the two of them are somehow interacting. <laughs> Glory to God. 
Some people who claim to be Christians, claim to be Christians, reject the virgin birth. Claim to be. I, I am of this view. If you reject the virgin birth, you're not a Christian. Period. If you claim that Mary was not, Jesus was not born of a virgin, a woman who had never been with a man, if you reject that, if you say that that didn't happen, you are not a Christian. I don't care what you call yourself. You can call yourself a hamburger, but that doesn't make you one. You're not a Christian. Because, because what you're really saying is Jesus was not God. That's what you're really saying. And he is God. He was God. He is God. I mean, that's what makes his effort all the more heroic because he gave up everything for us, everything. He was untouchable, but he made himself touchable. He was invulnerable, but he made himself vulnerable. And he was certainly far beyond where death could touch him, and he came and embraced death for us. God, a very God, and allowed death to soil him, to pay the price for our conjunction and union with Satan and sin. Damn. I mean, these people who want to somehow sanitize what Jesus did and make, well, you know, he, it, it was impossible for Jesus to sin. That's a lie. That's a lie. That's a lie. He wasn't programmed, so he couldn't. The Bible says he was in all ways tempted like we are, and yet without sin. Well, you all been tempted, haven't you? You know what temptation is like? It's like, oh, no, I better not. But part of you says, oh. I mean, Satan came at Jesus with everything he could. And Jesus just slapped him down with the word at every turn, slapped him down with the word. I've often said, I, I really read this into his encounter with the woman at the well and even the disciples. When they came up and saw him talking to a woman, said they marveled that he talked with a woman because in the culture of that day, men did not talk to women in public. Women were, were often, except for going to certain places, not even allowed to be out on their own without a man accompanying them. And so for Jesus to be talking to a strange woman at a well, they marveled that he talked with a woman. But you know, it's interesting. They were smart enough not to question him. The Bible says, but none of, their, none of them said, you know, why are you talking with a woman? They knew better than that. And, 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 and I am absolutely convinced that this woman thought she had another man to seduce or who, who could seduce her. Because when he says, if you knew who it was who asked you, you would give him to drink, or ask you to give me to drink. He said he would give, a, give you living water that would spring up into everlasting life. And the woman said, give me that water. I don't think she was thinking about spiritual water. I think she thought he was coming on. And that's when he said, go call your husband. I don't have a husband. So she lied right there. Because you know, right, she didn't have a husband, but she had a man. And Jesus was trying to get her straight right there. Go call your husband. I don't have a husband. He said, you, you told the truth. You don't. The man you're with now, not your husband, but you had six of them already. You must be a prophet. <laughs> and then he, he preached to her, and that woman went into the village and said, come see a man who told me all I ever did. 
is not this the Christ. Amen? Jesus never, ever, ever said. Glory to God. And yet Satan do everything he could at him to try to get him to do it. It was not impossible, but he loved us so much that he simply wouldn't do it. I mean, he told Paul, he said, I could call 12 legions of angels right now by praying to my father. You have any power over me? You're kidding yourself. But he didn't do it. Amen? Amen. Amen. So that's got to be rhema for us. You know, when you got saved, the word became rhema for you. Because I'm sure when you got saved, that wasn't the first time you heard somebody say that Jesus Christ was the Savior, that Jesus Christ was Lord, or that Jesus Christ had died on the cross for your sins. I'd grown up in the church when I was in foster care. They took me to church every Sunday, sometime two or three times. Uh, during the week, I can remember sitting up there falling asleep as a little kid and getting slapped. Pow, wake up. Man. <laughs> I know I heard the gospel. I've told you all before. I, I heard Reverend Leslie Sapp. I'll never forget it. I couldn't have been more than six years old sitting up in the front pew. I believe I was sitting at the end and he was preaching about Job and all of a sudden it seemed like I understood everything he was saying. So much so that here at my age, I still remember that event. And I just kind of sat there mesmerized, but I still didn't get saved. Nobody came to me and said, son, God's just touched you and here's what you need to do. I, I, so it didn't happen. It wasn't until I was almost 25, 24 years old, December of 1976, that it became rhema for me. See, at some point it became rhema for you. Amen? I'd had people, Terry Laser told me, and I'd have other people say, you know, Jesus Christ is Lord, but oh yeah, yeah, good, great. Have a great time with it. But not me. I got, I got important things to do. You know, like I said, my wife going to church, I said, church is fine for women and children, but we men have, we men have other priorities. But once it became rhema, then you couldn't keep me out. How does it become rhema? Well, obviously, obviously, it is a work of the Holy Spirit in us, right? We know that. But why does the Holy Spirit do that for everybody? He doesn't. Because first, there's got to be a desire in our hearts. See, something has to stir in us. You say, well, well that's, that's clearly God, but God is trying to do that for everybody. But everybody is not grabbing hold together. Some people are doing what I did for the first 24 years of my life, or at least you know, as long as I was cognizant and, 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 and knew enough to know that church was there and, and that God was there, was, was, I said no. In fact, I can remember this. You all be shocked to hear this perhaps. But I literally would get mad enough to fight when somebody, I'd dress up occasionally because you know, as a young man, I didn't put on suits and ties much, but I'd get, dress up, put on a suit and tie to go somewhere. Somebody, you look like a preacher. Don't be saying that to me. What's, what's that supposed to mean? Oh, yeah, I'd get irritated. But that was those devils in me getting stirred up because they say, yeah, we know that's what God has for me. But I'll stop that. 
But once it became rhema, an entirely different story. And how does that happen? Well, obviously the Holy Spirit doesn't work. But somewhere along the way, you hear a word, you receive a word that takes root in your heart and it begins to grab you. And, 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 and step by step, I told you all, when I got saved, the first thing that happened was I started to come out of conviction. I didn't call it that because I didn't know enough to call it that. But as I was reading the Bible, I came to this conclusion. I will never forget the moment at which it happened. I don't know the exact date, but sometime in October of 1976, I started to realize, you know, the book is a Bible that requires a decision about whether you believe it or not. Other books aren't like that. You can debate them, talk about them. I reject this. I embrace it. I said, but the Bible is a book that demands that you make a decision whether you believe it or not. And that's when I began to grapple and say, well, do I believe this or not? Hmm. And then when I came to David, it, it, was, it was at that point, it was literally all over, but, for the, but for, the, for the final steps. Because that's when I started to realize, wait a minute, Christianity is not about <clears throat> wimpy men, as you know, you, we still hear this now, wimpy men uh, looking for a crutch. I mean, that was what Nietzsche thought of Christians. And, and a lot of other people still think that today. Men who go to church are just weak men. They, are, they, are, they, they need something to lean on. I don't need that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, it, 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 it's about recognizing that this is not about needing something to lean on. This is about the truth as to who I am and the nature of life itself. Because isn't that, see, that's what Christianity is really all about. That's what the birth of Jesus Christ is really all about. What is life truly about? What's the real meaning of life? Because that's what most people grapple with in one way or another. I mean, look, for, I was a philosophy major, and I studied the, studied the existentialists, and the existentialists were a whole philosophical movement that was based upon atheism and based upon proving that life was essentially meaningless and actually praising people for committing suicide as the ultimate statement about the meaninglessness of life. So committing suicide was, a, was an act of, of high honor for the existentialists. And they thought they had real insight. And had nothing. I told you all, you know, when, when we studied Descartes and, you know, the big buildup to René Descartes, the great French philosopher and, and the things that he said, and, and his, his, his brilliant insight came down to cognito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am. Now, boy, those are words to live by. <laughs> oh, yeah, people just, oh, man, oh, wow. That, and, and even then I thought, Really? So I didn't really know I existed until I realized, oh, you know what you think. Now you know you exist. I mean, human beings without God are really just lost in their grappling and, 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 and you know, for the meaning of life. And they, and, and they can't find it. I used to quote this from Pascal, but I, 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 I was reading uh, some other material that said maybe I got that wrong. It might have been Augustine, but, but one of them said it, and maybe Pascal bought it from Augustine that there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man that only God can fill. In other words, there's, a, there's an emptiness that people are trying to fill and they keep looking for ways to fill it. 
illicit relationships, drugs, uh, 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 adventure, active, you name it. Something that's going to fill up that emptiness that's inside them when what they really need is God and they'll never be complete without him. And they try to define life and, and, and find the meaning of life with other things. But none of it will ever work. No matter what it is. No profession, no skill, no wealth, no relationship. Nothing will ever fill that vacuum. It's God and God alone because we were made for him. Amen. 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 So, but how do we position ourselves? Because we're saved, but there, there are things along the way that we may be believing God for that we, we feel this is what God has for us. And, and, and maybe we don't see it coming to pass. So we don't see the signs or the indications that, that it's moving in the way it ought to. And yet we believe this is what God has for us. Well, first of all, you want to make sure that whatever you're believing God for is rooted and grounded in the word of God. Is this consistent with God's word? Because if it's not, it's never going to become rhema. Well, you certainly hope it does, because if it does, it's going to be the devil's rhema. I have to tell you all about this woman who came to me one time. I've been praying with her, and she, she needed a job, and, and I've been praying with her about the job. She came to me one Sunday morning, said to me, then Reverend, Reverend Jackson, Pastor, I, I won't be coming back to church next Sunday. Something wonderful has happened. I said, what? said, the Lord gave me a job. I said, the Lord gave you a job and you're not coming back to church? She said, nope. I said, well, well what, what job do you think God gave you? I'm going to be a bartender. I'm serious, not making it up. And I said, what? She said, yeah, and I have to bartend on Sunday mornings now. I've been praying for a job. The Lord gave me a job, so I won't be coming back to church. I said, God didn't give you that job. God, A, God's not going to give you a job that's going to take you completely away from the fellowship of the saints. And B, God's not going to give you a job as a bartender. But, but these are the, the crazy ideas that people come up with when they divorce themselves from the word. I mean, the word of God would make clear, the Bible says, do not be drunk with wine, which is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. God's not, God's not going to give you a job filling people up with alcohol. Well, I didn't hear a big, like, big amen about that, but it's still true. Amen. Amen. Look, so the first thing then, make the word of God central and root and ground your, your beliefs, your expectations in God's word. I said, you know, you can believe all you want to, that you're going to climb up on the roof of, of this building and jump off and sprout wings. But I got news for you. You're going to fall flat on your face. Because there's no promise of God for you to do that. I wish somebody told me that when I was about seven years old and jumped off the steps <laughs> of my house trying to fly like Superman. But yeah, I did it. Thank God I only did it once. Whew. But if it's not rooted and grounded in the promises of God, you, you don't have any business thinking that this is something God's going to do for you. Amen? But there are, there are promises. The Bible says he's given us exceedingly great and precious promises. Promises of protection. Promises of guidance. 
Promises of strength, promises of breakthrough, promises of deliverance, promises of healing. You root and ground your, your faith in that, now you've got something. Amen.